and welcome to the 75th episode of Total Pop Mode, your weekly comedy gaming podcast. My name is Will, and I also go by Hoodafunk, and I'm joined here by my good friend, co-host, and fellow gaming enthusiast, James, aka Mr. Bames. What's going on, guys? Good to be here again. Coming up this episode, we've got our weekly regular games catch-up, followed by the weekly gaming news where we discuss a recent game release, and exciting upcoming content rumours before rounding off the episode with a return to Mass Effect 3 as part of Completionist Corner. But before all of that, let's move on with the socials. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pop Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on X by searching for at Total Pop Mode, all one word. And whilst you're there, you can find me at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPM. And you can find me at Hoodafunk on X, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. So first up this week, the catch up. What have you been playing this week? So after last week's episode where we were talking about how I shouldn't really start Dragon Age Origins because in good conscience I couldn't do that until I'd finished Baldur's Gate 3, guess what I did this week, Will? Did you cave? No, I didn't. I played a bit of Baldur's Gate 3. Good for yeah. you, man. <laughs> no, yeah, I was all good. I, I played a little bit of Baldur's Gate 3. Not not a huge amount. I'm sorry for having so little faith That's in you. Right. I kind of led you down that path. But um, no, yeah, I played a little bit, like only three hours or so. I moved into Act 2. I'm there now. Oh, okay. You finally crossed that threshold. And it was literally crossing a threshold. I did one loading screen and I was in Act 2. Right. I was literally okay. sat next to the door to it. But it was good because it meant I got a cutscene that kind of reminded me about everything that was going on. So I was like, sure okay, thing. sweet, I'm back in. Little recap, never hurts. It's um, still a brilliant game because I'm doing main quest stuff, kind of story spoilers, but I've moved on from Act 1 into Act 2. The story is progressing nicely. There's been some cool things already. Right. Um, but at this stage, I am going to explore everything. I'm not going to go away from that playstyle. Sure thing. But I am going to try and get through it a bit quicker than I was playing it before, just to right. get through it. Because this isn't the sort of game I'm going to see everything on in one playthrough, so there's no point resetting to get different outcomes or re-rolling things or just doing any of that. Just like, right, no, let's do this. Just commit to your playthrough, but do it at your own pace still. That sounds like a good idea. Kind of, but not really at my own pace. It's more I'm going to try and do it a bit quicker. Gonna right, see, I'm okay, going to see yeah. everything. Like I want to do all the side quests and stuff. I'm not going to go away from that, but I just want to get it done because I don't need to see every single outcome in the first playthrough. Stop giving up. Just... Do it! Uh, that's probably part of the enjoyment in the game as well, is going back and doing that completely different second playthrough. Exactly, and multiple playthroughs. There's that many branching choices in this game that you can do that. There's there's just no point trying to see it all in one playthrough. Um, so I'll get through it a bit quicker, get it done, and I probably will play it again at some point. But um, I don't really have too much more to report on that. Only other thing I've played this week, really, is I've um, jumped into uh, the EA Sports golf game. And yeah... It was just quite a good bit of fun. Very different to the golf club, but, you know, played them as long as I have. They're all sort of the same at this point. Right. Was playing really well, except for the last round I played, which was awful. And how does this work? Is this match play? Are you playing online with other I'm players? I'm doing career or... mode, so... Okay, fine. Sure thing. Have you created your own character, or is this... Can you play as existing pros? Uh, yes, create a character. Sure thing, right. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I did speak about it on a previous episode, but yeah, I just made a me. Always just make a me. Awful character creator, though. You can't even design the face. You just pick from a bunch. So did you just pick this up from your previous save file then? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't, oh, I don't, fine, okay. don't start again on golf games, mate. You just make a golfer and you just f***ing play. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Honestly, yeah. Um, given that I'm speaking to you right now and your predisposition for starting games again, if you did do it on a golf game, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, no, I, I get that. My, my prior history is uh, reason to believe that I would do that, but no. In a golf Not game, typically just make myself and then just pick up the career and just carry on whenever I want. Right, right. And then I did play a little bit of something else, but uh, I think we're going to talk about it in the news, so I'll leave it for them. Uh, so that is me for the catch-up this week. Uh, how about you, man? What have you been playing? So this week, I jumped back into a little bit more cyberpunk. I still haven't pushed on with the storyline very much, but I'm exploring more of the map, meeting up and doing a few more of the side quests, like taking down the cyber psychos. 
I have actually since been trying to do that with a non-lethal method instead of going in and absolutely gatting someone or, or pummeling them with a baseball bat or something like that. We're doing more sneaky approaches. So you've moved on from hacking cameras and like hacking all their things, just no baseball bat, just barge in. Well, it, it just doesn't really seem to be an option with these cyber psycho battles that I've experienced so far. A lot of the time you can at best just sneak around them and grab them and then knock them out or go into a full-out battle with them but they're zipping around so fast and they've got loads of attacks that unless you're quite augmented yourself you're gonna have a bit of a hard time taking them down so i've been trying to go the non-lethal route because you seem to get some sort of reward or or maybe some extra money for taking them down non-lethally so i'm just trying that really I have been experimenting with going to a few of the Ripper docs in the game, and uh, those are the guys that you can trust to augment your body, give you lots of different abilities via installing cybernetics in yourself. And a couple of the things that I've been experimenting with have given me some really cool powers. You mentioned doing the net running abilities before, hacking into cameras and things like that. One of the powers that I've been able to vastly improve through adding a few cybernetics to myself has been that the thing that i've been experimenting with is being able to explode vehicles as well as take the brake off of vehicles and you can even do another ability where you can just completely floor the accelerator on the vehicle and just cause it to crash into things around the environment motorbikes included in that as well so as i'm augmenting myself i'm finding myself able to interact with different objects in the environment that i couldn't previously which is really cool yeah it gives you a lot more options a lot more strategies to play with chucking a motorbike at someone i imagine it could be quite fun causing complete chaos like that is one of the things that that ability is really good at doing i haven't found much use for deactivating the brake on a vehicle yet but i'm sure there's various points in the game that they're going to provide you with some sort of good incline to drop a vehicle in something so i'll probably figure that out the more i play it a couple of the physical abilities though that i've got in the game that have vastly improved my enjoyment of the gameplay is the ability to double jump now the uh, the free running in the game and being able to mantle over objects is really good and you typically feel quite agile in the game anyway being able to double jump and scale objects that are twice as high only adds to that as well and it just really accentuates just how good the mantling and climbing over stuff is in this game Parkour! nice nice to hear that it's going to improve as well i didn't know there was a double jump in this game no, me either. Honestly, it completely took me by surprise as well. It was a really welcome find in the game. Yeah, nice. And uh, also being able to slow down time under various circumstances. So like if you're running and then you go into a slide and you aim your gun, you'll go into slow motion. Or if you do like a dash or an evade move and then aim immediately afterwards, you'll go into slow-mo. It's really useful stuff, especially when you're being pursued by enemies because you can just sort of evade backwards and then get a load of critical hits or whatever you need to do to get out of that situation it's really cool stuff yeah everyone loves a bit of bullet time yeah 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 it's essentially bullet time uh with a few extra steps i guess uh one of the side missions that really stuck out to me that i wanted to talk about a little bit as well is a doctor that you discover that she's been kidnapped by one of the local gangs in the game Uh, they're a gang called the maelstrom and these are one of the guys that you run into at the start of the story mode as well and they're one of the gangs that really focus on body modifications and installing cybernetics a lot of them don't even really have faces left they're just a mixture of black machinery and red lights replacing their eyes (laughs) and face they're pretty disturbing to look at actually um they sound cool they're kind of like a biker gang sort of themed thing but just yeah biker punk sort of theme i guess can you join them you can help them out as part of the story absolutely yeah there's a bit that we actually talked about earlier on the podcast that was the same gang and you can choose to side with them and escape oh same guys okay fair. Yeah, yeah same gang yeah 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 and in this mission uh this gang has kidnapped a doctor who is uh like a really skilled surgeon and they had an agreement with someone that she was going to work with them for a certain period of time and then she'd be released however loads of time has gone by and she still hasn't come out so you've been sent in to rescue her when you walk into the scenario, she's actually trying to save one of the gang members' lives. And it can play out in a couple of different ways, which I thought was quite cool to see in a story mode. And it maybe suggests a little bit more of a difference in the game. Maybe something to get you a bit more interested in the game, seeing as you were hoping for some detailed side content missions, more similar to The Witcher. This seemed to be one of those missions where you're sent in to rescue the Doctor, you find out she's still helping the gang members willingly. You can make the choice then and there to just pull out your gun and shoot the guy if you will and uh just drag the doctor out with you but when i first choose to play it i decided to go along with the doctor you get her some medical supplies which are just on a desk nearby and give them to her yeah, save the gang forbid, members she goes life. and gets them herself Jesus. <laughs> 
she's pretty preoccupied with uh yeah with trying to save this man's life she's got a whole bunch of different wires and things attached i think that she's under a lot of pressure i figured i'd take it off of her a little bit but uh curiosity did get the better of me and then i decided to load back and go do the route of just seeing whether it was even possible to shoot him it really got me excited to see what else the game has in store because i was semi expecting the bullet to just not work or you lower your gun or something boring like that that a lot of games do these days it was definitely reassuring to see that the side missions can play out considerably different as well i didn't actually pursue that to see if that had a later impact but even just having those options in the game was good enough for me. Yeah, and what you've just described there is exactly what I'm not going to be doing on board Escape 3. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and for good reason, yeah. I've got to say, this is the first time that I've actually made that decision in this game, and it was more as a test just to see how deep the game was going to go. I wanted to see if it could be done. Now I've seen it once, I probably won't do it again. I'll just look forward to my second playthrough. Now that I've been assured that it's actually possible to have those different interactions. Yeah, I don't blame you for doing that for this particular example because it is kind of like a mechanic test rather than actually a choice yeah. check if you say it I mean. was yeah yeah that's cool that could have a probably maybe not a big impact but it could have an impact on a side mission later on i guess that question will get answered as i progress through my playthrough because uh now that gang member's alive and i'm on good terms with the doctor maybe i will pick up a mission from them it'll be interesting to see if we pick up on that down the line whether that ever actually comes to fruition or not but for now it's just nice to see that there's even slight different outcomes in the scenarios that you can experience Agreed. Sounds very promising. But that's been about me for the week, man. I've mostly put my time into cyberpunk. I think it's time that we moved on with the gaming news. So first in our list of articles today, recent news hints at the release of Elden Ring Shadow of the Erdtree DLC drawing ever nearer. Well, we can only f***ing hope. It definitely feels uh, like it's been a long enough wait yeah. already. I mean, obviously, all kind of caveats aside in terms of giving them all the time they need to actually make sure that this is a, a really good experience for everyone. It feels like we're definitely due uh, the DLC some point early on this year. At least give us a date. Uh, who knows? I mean, uh, Shadow with the Air Tree might just shadow drop. I hope not. So I want to get another playthrough in before then. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, it would be nice to have a little bit of a heads up just yeah. so that you uh, can kind of level a new character or the character that you want to take into the DLC. Well, I've already done that, I think. I want 100% it before the DLC comes out. You better start picking it up any day soon, man, given this news article. Well, let's hear it. And then I will adjust my plans accordingly. So an Elden Ring YouTuber and ex-user known as Ziostorm posted on the 15th of January that a new Elden Ring DLC package has just been added to Elden Ring within the files for the first time since launch. This announcement has triggered a new wave of Elden Ring DLC excitement as the news continues to develop. This was then followed by another post by the same user going on to state that the Bandai Namco EU Elden Ring playlist received an interesting update on January the 4th, shortly followed by an update to the American and Southeast Asian YouTube channels. In light of recent DLC news and rumours, Ziostorm questions whether the update was the DLC trailer scheduled to go live. Recent updates to the game's change list on Steam certainly seems to corroborate this theory that the Elden Ring DLC will be with us very soon. But very soon isn't a date. No, it's still not a day, no. unfortunately. We're still waiting on Tentox. I honestly feel like the more days go by, I am fully willing to believe that this DLC will just be a sudden drop that suddenly it'll be there without any real furor or any sort of announcement for it at all. I'm with you in the sense of I think it could happen. I don't want it to. As I've said, I want at least a month's notice so that I can get <laughs> an Elden Ring playthrough done comfortably in that time. More of as a warm-up of anything else. Get the 100%, but also warm up so that I'm match fit for the DLC. Because I'm hoping it's going to be quite brutal. Very soon could be two weeks time or it could be april right i think that there is maybe a slight precedent for the way that some of the previous games have uh, been released this again might be huffing a bunch of hopium uh, as ex-user Zostorm openly admits to uh, regularly huffing on the hopium but i think that it could be a case that this might release around february march time i reckon late february at this point we can only hope i'm bored of speculating i just want to get it <laughs> I can't blame you for that, man. I can't blame you for that at all. So uh, it's time to move on to our second article of the day. Power releases on the 19th of January, which is today at the time of recording. The wait for Power World has often felt like a long one, especially given that I mentioned this game to James back on the fifth episode of the podcast over a year ago. The release has finally landed today on the 19th of January, where the game will enter a period of early access on Steam. 
Power World is billed as a monster-catching survival and crafting game, but incorporates a variety of other mechanics from other genres in order to provide a completely new experience for everyone. A few very lucky users have had their hands on an early release of this game for the last few days now, and some of the footage looks very interesting. So some of the kind of notable stuff that I've spotted so far in the game uh, involved someone having a faithful companion that resembled a Pokemon for all intents and purposes. And due to the hunger mechanic in the game and the fact that they needed to survive, they were very swiftly able to grab their pal, uh, which is what the creatures are called in this game, and quickly butcher it and turn it into a consumable. It happens very quickly in this game. <laughs> it's a thing. Yeah, it seems uh, pretty brutal. Well, as I intimated in the catch-up, there was one other game that we'd probably get onto. I actually picked this up. Yeah, yeah. All cards on the table. It's uh, it's in my cart right now. I'm going to pick it up after the recording and get right into it. And I've played about an hour, just over. Yeah, sure thing. As a game, it's intriguing. On the one hand, it's not quite what I expected it to be. It definitely has a lot of survival game influences. It's basically Definitely arc. some arc influences. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that that's not typically a genre that you're really into. I wasn't expecting it to be quite that survival heavy, I won't lie. But I persevered a little bit, built myself a little wooden house. You know, I'm just, I'm single player offline type jobby, just learning the game. Right. And uh, I've caught one pal, but instead of attacking the Pokemon with another Pokemon to weaken it, you literally punch it yourself or use weapons yourself, which is quite neat. <laughs> Naturally. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is, this game has been affectionately dubbed Pokemon with guns by a lot of gamers out there. Well, I've not seen a gun yet. Well, I've said that. I've seen a gun on an NPC, but I haven't seen a gun yet. Right, yeah. Um, and I read a comment somewhere saying that not all pals can wield the guns, which is disappointing. I was hoping all of them could have a gun somehow. I was hoping you'd weaponize all of them. Right, fair enough, yeah. Maybe that'll come, but... Yeah, maybe. I'm I'm kind of unsurprised that every pal can't wield a gun, just given how cute some of these things are. But I have seen some very cute pals wielding guns also to counter that. So Yeah, exactly. And there are some people that have played for hundreds of hours already. I've played for an hour, so who knows. I'm going to sit on the fence for the moment. It's exactly what I thought it would be in terms of art style, general direction, and what the game's going to be. I wasn't expecting it to be quite so you just get stranded on a desert island and not really much of a tutorial. You get kind of left your own devices. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people surprised about the yeah. lack of storyline as well. Yeah, no, you sort of get told like, oh yeah, when you're stronger, go head to this tower and do something. But yeah, there isn't really too much direction. And, and I was expecting more of a just general guide type thing there's little tutorial prompts that say do this now then do this then it's like level your base to level seven okay i'll just work out how to do that on my ones and that's fine <laughs> yeah it probably relies on you having a little bit of experience with survival games previously given just how oriented that game seems to be yeah and that's the thing that i wasn't expecting mm. i i'm mm. you know I'm, I'm not thinking about refunding it or anything like that i'm definitely going to give it a good try um because the creature catcher side of it is very up my street yeah and the hunger mechanic seems to be relatively straightforward and not go down too quickly so at the moment it's okay right okay. so we'll see how it goes but it is fun though all of the gameplay that i've seen so far definitely suggests to me that i'll enjoy it i've seen some really interesting stuff on the internet i've also seen uh players capturing humans in the we'll call them pokeballs but what are they actually called in the game oh don't I've, i don't know mate i've seen Even it if, right okay but i can't remember what it is Fine, fine. We'll probably have more on this next week, I think. But I've, I've seen it being used to capture human enemies as well, uh, which you can okay. sell for money as well as uh, okay. uh, apparently recruit to your factory to help build stuff as well. So there might even be a possibility in the game to have like a human team farming away for you. Because that, of course, is one of the other big elements of this game is you can choose to eat the pal to survive, you can choose to befriend them, or you can choose to put them in your factory basically and enslave them it's quite a juxtaposition against the kind of cutesy art style that you're used to seeing as well i think that alone plays a lot into the enjoyment factor of this is just what a weird contrast this game seems to present with all these cute animals wielding weapons and going into battle i've only seen like six of them so i i, I haven't seen like a proper fierce looking one yet some big ones be interesting to see how this game progresses like i said i, I want to put some more time into it and who knows it might even make me enjoy the survival genre a bit more that would be interesting wouldn't it yeah i can finally convince you to play a game of rust or something uh, well baby steps, on the back mate. of One this maybe <laughs>
So with all this said, the game has actually sold 1 million copies in the first 8 hours of its early access launch, and has shot to the top of the Steam charts, all of which is apparently causing some server issues for users, but we hope they are resolved soon as this is something I'm certainly excited to finally try for myself, and I definitely will be shortly after recording this podcast, that's for sure. <laughs> but that's enough Power World news for now, it's time to move on to our third and final article of this week. This article from BBC News, the UK high street chain Game has confirmed that it plans to end its pre-owned video game business. Boo. Yeah, I'm not a fan of this news either. I, I understand where it's coming from, but me personally, uh, for some points that we'll get into later, I'm, I'm quite sad to hear this news, honestly. And maybe this is just me with my old head hat on, where I can't get my old decrepit brain out of the mentality that I need to physically own all of my games, or at least the majority <laughs> of the games that I don't own on PC. So the company will phase out trade-ins over the coming months, according to parent company Fraser's group. However, pre-owned games will still be sold in the company's standalone stores whilst stocks remain. So this is very much a phase-out, they're not going to suddenly dump a bunch of these games. Dumpster divers, don't get your hopes up, you're not going to be able to come across the absolute motherload one day. Sales of physical video games have actually fallen substantially since games' heyday back in the early 2000s, and according to figures from the Digital Entertainment and Retail Association trade body in 2023, digital sales now account for almost 9 out of every 10 video games sold in the UK. I can believe that. I'm pretty much full digital these days. Yeah, I mean, you are primarily using your PC, so I, I do think that physical editions probably more buy into the console market than any other. But even in consoles, I'd moved to digital towards the end as well just for space purposes yeah and obviously pc cells are accounted within these statistics as well and i do feel like there has been a substantial shift towards pc in the market as well it feels like it's definitely something that has been a bit more of a shift over the recent years probably thanks to a lot of uh twitch streaming and things like that a lot of uh younger generations of kids moving away from consoles earlier probably Meanwhile, in addition to buying new and pre-owned, many people now pay for monthly subscription services such as Sony's PlayStation Plus and Microsoft's Game Pass, which give them access to large libraries of downloadable games. Yeah, but not all of those are permanent. They come and go. Yes, it's true. Exactly yeah. that. And I, I think that just as much as there is a shift away from buying games physical and going for more digital versions... I think that this idea of games as a subscription service just seems to be growing more and more popular as well. I, I don't know about that. You, you are probably right. Their numbers in terms of sales suggest that that's the case, at least. All I can say is I stopped my one. But again, I think your move towards PC had played into that as well. Yeah, Games Pass on PC wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. Substantially yeah. less populated in terms of titles than the console version. Yeah, on Xbox, it's really worth it. And there's a guarantee that all your core Microsoft games, as well as all the companies that they'll be buying up, that their libraries, past and present, are also yeah. going to be available on there, as well as their brand new titles day one. But yes, I don't like this news though, Will. I remember back in the day picking up five games for £10. I miss those multi-buy deals as well, man. They were yeah. really good. And that definitely paved the way for me as like a teenager and as a kid into gaming as well, being able to actually afford a game of my own if I saved up enough money that was realistically available to me, being able to pick up a game for a fiver or a tenner or something like that. That was a real boost in terms of the games that I could play and it got me into the hobby a lot more as well. I was very much into it by that point, but I know what you mean. It definitely opened a lot more doors to games that I might not have played if I'd had to pay them at full price. But yeah, don't like this news. Sad for it to go. As I said at the start, business-wise, I understand why. Makes perfect sense. That's been their argument all along, though, in terms of working in these anti-consumer policies in order to make more money. And Microsoft's threatening to move towards digital game licensing and having to transfer a digital game license to a friend to lend it. Things like that people have always been worried about, and it's always the argument from a business sense. But I want to be emotive, James. Yeah. I, I want to have passion. <laughs> <laughs> And I feel like uh, in that sense, with games getting more and more expensive as well, ultimately all this decision leads to is is kind of cutting more people out of the games market if this was to go more widespread. Thankfully, we still have stores like CEX and things like that to pick up pre-owned games. It's uh, it's sex if you've heard the adverts, mate. Is it is just sex? Are they okay, right? Yeah. I, I, I disagree so. with that. I think it's CEX, <laughs> but in the advert they call it sex, yeah. It's just for the marketing. And, and I do agree with you, mate. Like, it, it, it sucks for 
people who don't necessarily have spare disposable income to spend on 70 80 pound games because we've just extolted the virtues of picking up two to five games for 10 pounds or less mm, people can't mm. really do that anymore if this goes away certainly not as easily because game was like a staple of the uk market i don't know if it still holds that same lofty position but in my mind it is still a staple so for them to stop it is a real shame at least there will be other stores out there to take its place maybe it'll drive that market more which may be a good thing Okay, man, so that is our news wrapped up for this week. It's time to move on to Completionist Corner. Here we go for the Completionist's Corner. So following the events last week where we managed to end a multi-century conflict between the Krogans and the Salarians, Shepard is a little tuckered out, and on the advice of our Turian crewmate Garrus, heads to their private quarters to rest for a little bit, and as we set our head down to rest, another dream sequence ensues. Proper sucking the pace out of the story once again. <laughs> Yeah, it happens, yeah. Not a fan of these dream sequences, honestly. Uh, there's a fair few sequences in this game that I feel like are a little drawn out, uh, and this is definitely one of them. Yes. This dream, or rather nightmare, plays out a lot like the other dream sequences we've seen so far, with Shepard running slowly as if through custard through a dark wooded area whilst ash seems to be falling from the sky. Shepard hears the cries of the boy that we met back on Earth at the beginning of the story, you know, the one that got blown up trying to escape the Reapers, Shepard decides to follow the sounds through the gloom and spooky shadow silhouettes, and every time we manage to draw nearer to the kid, he up and runs away from us. Which must be annoying for Shepard, as we appear to be doing the annoying dreamlike thing where our movement is all slow and awkward. After chasing the boy through the trees a few times, we finally close in, just in time for the child to turn to face us and burst into flames. Shepard snaps awake in their bed back in their private quarters on the Normandy. There's no time for Shepard to linger on the traumatic memory of the child being offed, as after waking, they are summoned down to the comms room by the Salarian Citadel Counselor, where we are informed that another member of the council, Councillor Udina, has been caught moving large sums of money in a suspicious manner. Councillor Donnell Udina is an old acquaintance of ours, who is now the human representative on the Citadel Council, and therefore holds a lot of power and influence, and based on the report from the Salarian Counselor, it sounds like he could be up to no good. And he is a bit of a prick so I would totally believe it. Shepard agrees to head to the Citadel and meet with the Salarian Counselor to investigate the allegations. When Shepard arrives whilst waiting to dock with the Citadel, Joker radios the Sakara Ward to initiate the landing. After being unable to reach anyone, Joker gets a bad feeling about things and checks the emergency comms channels instead. We soon receive a clear signal from the Citadel, which is broadcasting a message to any nearby ships, warning that they are under attack by Cerberus forces. Shepard decides to take a team and depart using a Kodiak shuttle instead, choosing to hot drop on a landing pad that's filled with Cerberus forces, trading fire with the defending Citadel security officers. Shepard and their squad tear through a horde of Cerberus soldiers in order to reach the leader of the Citadel security force, Commander Bailey, who is also a familiar face from Mass Effect 2 and who helped us with a couple of missions back in the days when he was a CSEC officer. Bailey is also able to connect to a nearby console and determines that our Salarian counsellor, who contacted us prior to heading to the Citadel, is now in a nearby office under close guard by a large group of Cerberus forces. Shepard heads to rescue them and hopefully get some answers. On our way to the office, we also discover some murdered officers, shot in the back of their heads, suggesting that Cerberus is up to its usual tactics of installing sleeper agents to go to work from the inside before initiating an attack. And when our squad enters the office, we only find more dead bodies. But as Shepard looks over the balcony into the offices below, we spot the counsellor emerging from a hiding place and deactivating their cloaking device. Before we can reach the counsellor, a mysterious dark assassin descends from the ceiling and walks towards them menacingly. This unexpected guest provokes Shepard to shoot out a window and dive downstairs to confront this new foe. The shaded assassin flips through the air and lands facing Shepard, with the counsellor now playing piggy in the middle between the two of them. The counsellor looks over one shoulder and warns Shepard that Udina is staging a coup, and the other remaining counsellors are headed into a trap. She believes Udina is out to kill them all. As the standoff continues, our crew then arrive and add yet more pressure to this already tense situation. In a desperate attempt to escape, the counsellor attempts to activate their cloaking device but is quickly gunned down by the assassin, who then uses their acrobatic prowess to outmaneuver Shepard and escape onto a waiting Kodiak shuttle. So that's what happens in the Renegade playthrough of this, where you have killed Thane in the last game, because I assume Thane's right. in the life for you. Yeah, Thane, I guess Thane not, no. kind of comes in and uh, <laughs> saves the counsellor. Oh, does run. he? Okay. Yeah, he's like dying. 
because he's got that disease. Yeah, yeah. But in my one, Thane actually came in and saved the councillor. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, okay. That'll so, be really interesting to see how this plays into some of the next bits coming up as well. Commander Bailey radios in to tell us the remaining councillors are being taken to a shuttle pad in another area called the Presidium, which is where Shepard needs to head next. Guided by Bailey, Shepard enters another Kodiak shuttle and departs with their crew to reach the endangered councillors before the deadly assassin can. Shepard doesn't spend long on the trail of the assassin before the fight is suddenly brought to us, when the assassin lands on the roof of our flying Kodiak shuttle and jams a katana into the vehicle engine. The assassin then disembarks our vehicle and is picked up by a Cerberus officer in another craft, leaving us to helplessly drift downwards due to loss of power. Shepard crashes onto a citadel ward and needs to make the rest of the journey towards Udina and the other councillors on foot. This journey isn't an easy one as we're also attacked by a new form of Cerberus enemy known as Phantoms. These enemies are a special unit created by Cerberus that acts as ninja-like cyborgs, capable of powerful ranged attacks and close-range katana moves. Shepard continues the fight into a large plaza area and faces off against an Atlas droid, the large mechanical piloted mechs made by Cerberus. After the fight closes, we see the assassin, along with a group of phantoms, headed into an elevator, and we continue the chase using another unused elevator. Shepard fights a few phantoms in the elevator shaft as it rises, and even delays the assassin squad's elevator by shooting it down, before finding themselves on top of the actual elevator being ridden by Udina and the other council members. Shepard, on the roof of the council's elevator, dodges a few bullets that fly through the ceiling. These bullets are actually fired by none other than our old friend Cade Nalenko, who seems unaware of Udina's corrupt motives and also appears to be the only remaining guard for the fleeing councillors. As Udina, Caden and the other councillors run out of the elevator, they discover their planned escape craft has been destroyed, likely another plot by Odina to have them cornered with nowhere to escape from the stalking assassin. Shepard and their crew burst through the ceiling and emerge from the elevator, now standing behind Udina and the others. So this is another point in the game where there is going to be uh, quite a large difference uh, between what we've experienced here, I imagine. So for me, we do confront the group, at which point Udina shows Caden doctored footage of the earlier Salarian Counselor assassination to make it seem like it was actually us that killed them instead of the assassin that we've seen earlier. At this point, in order to prevent Udina from opening some doors, which Shepard suspects the assassins are behind, Shepard actually shoots Caden because Caden draws his pistol on Shepard first and tries to prevent Shepard from killing Udina. Caden decides to pull the gun on us, uh, at which point we promptly shoot him in the gut and then shoot Udina. So um, that's kind of the way that scenario plays out if you pick all of the worst options uh, and then pull the renegade trigger when you're given the opportunity. Yeah, there's actually more to it than that as well. It's also because you've treated Caden like a chump, so he doesn't trust you. So he believes the doctored footage. He's like, oh yeah, they're still working with Cerberus. Is this because I didn't visit him in hospital? Were you a dick to him every single time you met him in 2 as well? To be fair, I was a dick to everyone in 2, so yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. I definitely didn't have his loyalty. Because what happens with mine is, obviously there's no footage because the councillor was never assassinated, so there's nothing right. there. Yeah. Udina still tries to play the whole, oh, they're working with Cerberus thing. Julius being the paragon that he is, just talked and Dan was like, look, it's Udina that's been working with Cerberus. We have evidence. We can, you know, the accounts, money moving, all that good stuff. And Caden does actually have his gun drawn, but he says something along the lines of, don't make me regret this. Right. And he turns to Udina as well. And then Udina starts tapping on a console to like try and help himself escape and possibly let the guys out the elevator to come kill everyone. And there is actually a renegade prompt at this point, which would be me to shoot Udina. I'm a paragon okay. though, so I didn't take it. And then okay. Caden shot Udina. Oh, all right. Okay. Yeah. Why did Caden shoot Udina? Why? Because Caden was on my side. Caden's okay. a wild card and just decides to shoot Udina. We had evidence that Udina was working with Cerberus, and because I was nice to Caden in two, I visited him in the hospital. I was really sweet yeah, with him. Yeah. He was like, I believe you. You're the shepherd that I know and love, and I, I trust you. Fair enough. I guess I was just operating under the assumption that if you played this game out in the best possible scenario, Udina wouldn't actually get shot, and he would instead go to trial or whatever. That wasn't an option. Yeah, no, that's a shame, actually. I, I was just hoping for, for something like that to happen, maybe something meaningful with Udina later down the line. But no, he just no, he just gets killed guy. either way. He could have had a redemption arc. You never know. Fuck that guy. He's, he's irredeemable. 
I get what you're saying, but I guess this is just kind of one of the examples in the game where I would hope that paths would diverge a little more than they actually ended up doing, if you know what I mean, given our difference in approaches to the scenario. I do know what you mean, but at the same time, this is under the pretext of the whole galaxy is about to be destroyed and this guy is trying to sell out the council to the enemy. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. F- him. Yeah, I, I get what you're in saying. In the context of the game, I agree with you on the whole. But oh, we just want to see some differences. Yeah. I don't know, that was pretty different. You killed Caden. Yeah, I did kill Caden, yeah. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Well, (laughs) Caden doesn't really play a very large part in uh, my Shepard's playthrough of this game. Yeah, which actually is probably a good point to say. So in my playthrough after this mission, he actually becomes a recruitable squad mate. Right, yes. Yeah, I expected that. Yeah. Not for you. Commander Bailey arrives in another elevator and confirms our story that the councillors were in danger and also tells us that the assassins fled before they could get to them. The council finally believes our full story and pledges to help support us in recognition of the fact we just saved their asses. We also see a shot of our assassin sitting in the cabin of his shuttle on a comms call to the leader of Cerberus, the elusive man. The Cerberus head honcho names the assassin as Kai Lang and expresses surprise and perhaps a little concern that Shepard was able to get the better of him on this mission. We cut back to Shepard, now in Bailey's office, being told that the assassin seemed to be able to escape without any trace. Shepard heads back on board the Normandy for a quick debrief with Admiral Hackett, where it's confirmed that owing to our support, as well as the threat of Cerberus and the assassin Lang, the Council have officially pledged their support to us. Hackett also tells us that the work towards construction of the Crucible device is nearly halfway there. For our listeners that need a reminder, the Crucible is an ancient weapon that we're constructing in the hopes to help us beat the Reapers. The device will need some sort of catalyst that is the key to determining how the Crucible device will function and how its energy is focused. We need to remember this is literally all just alien technology that we don't fully understand, and using it incorrectly could spell doom for everyone, not just the Reapers. Before we close the call, Hackett mentions the Quarians, another familiar alien race, have requested to speak with us on an envoy ship near the Perseus Vale, deep in the northeast of our galaxy map. So we go with Shepard and the crew to investigate what the Quarians are up to, and hopefully recruit some more assets for our war against the Reapers. Recruit some more assets. They're just yeah. pawns to you. <laughs> they are, they really are. No, they literally are in this game, yeah. They're pawns to fill up a bar that I need to get to the bare minimum yeah. to take on the Reapers. <laughs> <laughs> on entering the system of Dolan, located in the Far Rim and near to the Perseus Vale, the crew of the Normandy locate the Quarian envoy ship and prepare to dock with the vessel. On the ship, we meet with a group of Quarian admirals who explain that they have been preoccupied with fighting to retake their homeworld, which has been invaded by another race called the Geth. The Geth are an alien race of connected artificial intelligences that were actually created by the technologically gifted Quarians to act as a labour force. Eventually, the Geth rose up against their creators and a war began, known as the Morning War. The war only came to an end once the surviving Quarians decided to abandon their homeworld of Rannoch, along with the surrounding colonies in face of the threat the Geth posed. For more information on the Geth, you can check out our coverage of Mass Effect 1 in episodes 21 through 26, and Mass Effect 2 in episodes 52 through 55, where you can find out what the Geth have been up to since their war with the Quarians. Anyways, back on board the Quarian envoy ship, the Admirals inform Shepard that after driving the Geth back with precision airstrikes, a mysterious signal began broadcasting to all Geth ships, which Shepard correctly guesses is a signal from the Reapers. Now under full Reaper control, the Geth are significantly more effective and have managed to pin the Quarian fleet in, leaving them stranded. The Reaper signal has been traced and appears to be coming from a large Geth Dreadnought, essentially a giant and formidable Geth-made warship. The Dreadnought is defended like a fortress, and so far the Quarians have been unable to make any headway in deactivating it. Thankfully, Shepard's Normandy is equipped with a stealth unit and should be able to help with boarding the Dreadnought and disabling the Reaper command signal. Before the meeting with the Quarians concludes, Tali Zora arrives and offers to help Shepard attack the Dreadnought. Tali, for those who need a memory jog, has been with us as an on-off crew member since Mass Effect 1, when she was under attack by assassins for holding valuable data on the Reaper plans. Tali is now an admiral of the Quarian fleet and explains that if Shepard can help the Quarians fight the Geth, then the Quarians will return the favour and use their fleet to fight against the Reapers. With our meeting now concluded, Shepard heads towards the Perseus Vale to disable the Geth Dreadnought. Accompanying us on this mission is Tally, as well as one squad member of our choice. As our pilot Joker takes the Normandy to within range of the Dreadnought, we spot several hundred Quarian ships in battle. They are dwarfed by the monstrous scale of the Dreadnought floating above the planet Rannoch, also known as the Quarian homeworld. Shepard boards the Dreadnought via a partially destroyed docking tube, using magnetic boots to navigate the treacherous path and avoid floating out into open space. 
Just as we arrive outside the Dreadnought, the docking tube detaches and prevents our squad members from using the same route. Shepard decides to continue from the inside and hack into another docking tube, enabling their squad to enter via other means. Shepard and their crew head to the ship's operations centre in order to disable the Reaper signal. It's not long before our stealthy approach fails. The crew is discovered by the Geth and a gunfight ensues, leaving Shepard and the crew to deal with hordes of Geth troopers as we work our way towards the objective. On entering the control room, we discover Reaper technology has been installed inside the Geth ship, and a familiar face seems to be trapped inside. We discover Legion, a friend from Mass Effect 2, is suspended inside a machine with wires trailing and connecting him to the ship's infrastructure. Legion is a special type of Geth designed to operate independently and interact with organics, hence he has the ability to speak. Legion has not succumbed to the Geth signal due to his advanced architecture over the other Geth, however he is being used by the Reapers to broadcast the command signal to the rest of the Geth forces. Shepard manages to free Legion from his shackles, which disrupts the Reaper signal, and as a gesture of cooperation, Legion also disables the Dreadnought's drive core, resulting in all weapons and barriers to cease functioning, turning the once deadly Dreadnought into a large, sitting duck for all the attacking quarians. Legion is temporarily separated from the squad as they fall to the floor below, while Shepard fights through more Geth troops in an attempt to escape the doomed warship. As we continue our escape, we overhear one of the Quarian Admirals, known as Geral, ordering the Heavy Fleet into a blind charge towards the helpless Dreadnought, in hope of destroying the Geth flagship once and for all, regardless of the fact that Shepard, Tali, and the rest of the crew are still on board. Shepard is able to escape from the Dreadnought using a fighter ship from one of the hangars on board, and is able to rendezvous with the Normandy just as the Geth ship explodes into pieces. Shepard meets with the Quarian Admirals on board and has a few choice words for Admiral Geralt who nearly got us killed due to his reckless decision to attack the Geth ship as soon as it was disabled. Legion informs us that although destroying the Dreadnought did temporarily stop the Reaper signal, the Reapers have also installed a base on the Quarian homeworld which is capable of short-range direction. It won't be long before the Reapers reinstate the short-range signal and regain control over the Geth, meaning that Shepard will still need to help the Quarians to regain their homeworld of Rannoch. Before we depart, we receive a call from Admiral Anderson back on Earth, who explains that the Reapers seem to be amassing large numbers in the United Kingdom in London, but there is no information as yet as to why the Reapers seem to have chosen London as their base. No time to think too much about that though, as we need to head to Rannoch and take down this Reaper base. On our way to Rannoch, Legion tells us that a direct virtual interface is necessary to stop the Reaper signal from broadcasting which means Shepard will need to find some way of directly connecting to the Geth's digitised brain server, which they refer to as their consensus. Quarian Admiral Ran tells us that the fight has begun and Geth squadrons are already attacking the Quarian fleet. Time will be short for us as we need to disable the Reaper signal before the Quarians are wiped out. Before we land, Legion jumps off the ship in order to get an early start in bypassing security, and Shepard lands in a shuttle on a nearby cliff and makes their way towards the Geth server, meeting up with Legion inside. Inside the base, Shepard discovers a pod known as a docking port that Legion explains will be the method of interfacing with the digital Geth consensus. However, due to resource limitations, Shepard will need to enter Geth cyberspace alone. In an effort to make the Geth consensus comprehensible to Shepard, Legion has adapted it with filters to ensure we can understand what lies inside. Given Shepard's military background, Legion figured the best way to represent shutting down the two communication nodes on this server is to arm us with a digital gun that we can use to blast away the Reaper code infecting the server. Shepard works their way through a grey environment composed of cube shapes littered with orange tendrils that represent the infectious Reaper code, using their digigun to blast away at the corruption within. During the course of this mission, we also discover more about the history of the conflict between the Quarians and the Geth namely around the Geth being attacked first by the Quarians once they began to realise that networking the Geth together was slowly causing them to gain sentience. We also see scenes of Geth being slaughtered by Quarians. Clearly at this point, the Quarians had decided their created labour force was too great a risk of rising up, so they decided to destroy them all instead. Shepard is able to clear the Reaper code from the server communication nodes, causing all of the Geth squadrons to become inactive and cease their fight with the Quarians. Shepard heads towards the nearest node and is able to use it to exit the server, now back with their squadmates. As we exit our pod, the team is surrounded by a large group of previously dormant Alpha Geth machines, Geth Primes. Just as we think another fight is about to break out, Legion explains that they have transferred all Geth programs from the server we just deactivated into those machines which will now fight with us, should we agree to have them in our team. Back on the Normandy, we are told by Quarian Admiral Ran that they have managed to locate the Reaper base situated on Rannoch. 
On this mission, we can use a tool provided by the Quarians to guide fire from the fleet in order to destroy the Reaper base. After landing back again on Rannoch, Shepard fights through more Geth that are still connected to the short-range Reaper signal. Reaching the upper entrance, Shepard is able to disable a blast shield protecting the core of the base and uses their laser guide to enable the launch of a massive payload right into the centre of the Reaper base. Things are really simple in the missions Shepard chooses to undertake, and this is no exception. Just as we're about to call it a day, a massive Reaper foe emerges from the dust and begins to attack us. It turns out this is no base after all, but we've in fact been walking around a giant Reaper. Due to signal jamming towers on the planet, a precision shot of another payload is still not possible. Without the help of our trusty laser targeting device, that is. Shepard orders the crew to cancel their escape and turn to face their foe, telling Edie to port all Normandy and Quarian fleet weapon systems through the laser guidance. As the Reaper lunges towards Shepard's position, we are able to use the laser to cause the Reaper to be hit by a plethora of ship fire. Dodging around the deadly red beam fired by the Reaper, Shepard continues to guide fire support and eventually causes the Reaper to collapse under the sheer amount of firepower being directed towards it. The Reaper finally falls to the ground in defeat. Shepard, perhaps keen to do a couple of celebratory emotes over the wreckage of the Reaper, approaches the fallen enemy. The piercing red eye of the Reaper pulses with energy and we hear a booming voice coming from the Reaper, warning us that our plans will fail. The Reaper explains their beliefs that they are on the side of order and organics represent chaos. By harvesting all organic life, they will bring order to the universe. Reapers actually believe themselves to be the salvation of all organic life. And what's also quite fun in this is uh, this guy mentions that Harbinger had told him about us. Harbinger being the main antagonist, if you like, of Mass Effect 2. That's right, yes. And yeah. this is probably the only time we hear about Harbinger in this game, I think. Oh, really? Okay, he's just a so. mention. He's around. He's yeah. one of the Reapers. Maybe spoilers for Will. I don't recall seeing Harbinger later in the game. Which I thought was a bit disappointing, really. But it's just a Reaper. But all this talk is clearly boring Will's version of Shepard, who quickly picks up the laser guide to fire one last deadly shot at the giant Reaper. I didn't shoot the Reaper at the end, he just died. Oh, right, okay. okay. He, yeah, he just sort of went, yeah, we will be victorious, and then just sort of shut down. Finish your war. We will be waiting. We soon get radio confirmation that the Geth fleet has now completely ceased attacking the Quarians due to the destruction of the Reaper. Legion speaks to us, reassuring us that the Geth only acted in defence after their creators, the Quarians, attacked them. Legion explains that, with the Reaper now dead, it should be possible to upload an upgrade to all of the surrounding Geth which would allow them to join us in our fight, whilst preserving their independence. Tali is obviously concerned regarding this prospect, as uploading the code to all inactive Geth could cause them to return to the fight against the Quarians, and even potentially wipe them out. So now, we have a choice to make. So, in this situation, I actually decided to ignore the pleas of Legion, figuring that this would be the most renegade approach. So, this approach led to the now retreating Geth to be slaughtered by the Quarians, and Shepard actually denies permission for Legion to upload the new code, which provokes Legion to attack Shepard in a desperate bid to save the Geth race. However, Tali pulls out a blade and actually stabs Legion in the back, causing them to fall to their knees. And I even took the opportunity to put a few more bullets in him to make sure the job was done, thanks to a couple of extra renegade button prompts. That is quite jokes that you had the option to do that, like frustration firing. Yeah, you get like three Fuck additional you, shots that you can fire. <laughs> yeah. So and for funny. no reason as well. It's not like you hate the guy either. It's just super well, unnecessary. Yeah, love Legion. Like, Shepard shows more hate and contempt for Legion than any other character in the game that you get to put three additional bullets in him. <laughs> I honestly wouldn't have complained if that was Caden, but this is probably one of the main Renegade choices that I felt bad about. Yeah. I think if I was left to my own kind of complete free will to play this game, I'd have probably chosen to side with the Geth. But this is just one of those choices I figured that I'm going to stick to that mainline renegade approach and this was the outcome I interpreted as being just that. So then uh, at this point in the game, the Quarians then just wipe out all of the remaining fleeing Geth forces. Oh, and, so just uh, completely dead. <laughs> completely dead. Yep. Yeah, that is the uh, the second or perhaps technically the third alien race that Shepard has exterminated in this playthrough. If you want to crown the fact that we've also doomed the Krogan, we haven't quite exterminated them, but we have kind of doomed them a bit. Yeah, I'm still struggling with calling a software an alien race, but, uh, but I'll take it, yeah. Um, but no, yeah, you're quite right. Uh, juxtaposition to my character, who is trying to save everyone, right? 
Yes, of course. So I think what the game kind of wants you to do here is what you've essentially said there. You make the choice between saving the Geth or saving the Quarians. And I was going to go with trying to save the Geth because I thought right. that that was a nice thing to do, try and get the whole world to be peaceful. So I did that. I said, upload the code, do it, and you get put on a timer. And during this timed period, you get a bit of chatter between the Quarians and like the other admirals. And they're like, oh, the Geth are shut down. We're going to f***ing take them out now. And uh, through using Paragon Charm, I actually managed to convince them not to attack the Geth, which I didn't think was possible. What I thought it would be is that I was saving the Geth and the Quarians would get their numbers significantly reduced as a result. I thought Same. that was the well, trade I thought this was a purely black and white choice, yeah. Because Tally was loyal to me and because legion was loyal to me and through various other paragon things i actually managed to broker peace between the quarians and the geth wow my so God. i got to keep both forces so legion uploaded the reaper software the geth became like super geth who were all on my side and all had their own free will now and the geth and the quarians mended fences and they decided to go back to ranok together to rebuild right and you get some like messages on your terminal later saying how like the geth have helped and they've advanced things so far that it would have taken the quarians years to do what the geth have done in weeks including but not limited to interfacing with the um, quarians health suits to make them constantly vaccinated and be able to adapt to the outside atmosphere quicker all right okay really cool stuff about how they synergize together in a peaceful way which i wasn't expecting so it was a really nice touch and i got a load of war assets boy so many war assets yeah absolutely you're rolling in war assets at this point i've gone beyond the top of the bar (laughs) yeah you've come out the screen yeah i think the limit is like seven thousand and i want eight thousand and something nice nice good times and with our new alliance made and peace restored to ranok shepherd is promised more support in the war back on earth against the reapers Tally also agrees to rejoin the Normandy crew, so we now have a new crew member to bring along with our next missions. James, did you also get Legion or uh No, I didn't get Legion, no. Legion okay, he fine. becomes a war asset, but he's not um, a companion. I did get Tally, and she became one of my main companions after that, because she gets an attack drone and a defense drone. <laughs> it's wicked. I've been ignoring those drone powers so far. I've been using her hacking abilities instead. Yeah, and overload. Just such yeah. a good moveset, such a good power set. Um but yeah, no Legion though, sadly. But to be fair, Legion's also an infiltrator. We've already got me and Garrus, we don't need the third infiltrator. No, fair enough. Arriving back on the Normandy, Shepard meets with the Asari representative of the Council, who explains that she has some important information for us back on the Citadel. However, that's about all we have time for today, and our meeting at the Citadel will have to wait till next week. So that wraps up Completionist's Corner, and it's time to wrap up the episode entirely. We'll move on to the socials. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pod Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on X by searching for at Total Pod Mode, or one word. And whilst you're there, you can find me at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPF. And you can find me at Hoodafunk on X, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. And I would highly recommend people check out our YouTube channel as I'm uploading all of the footage so far of the Mass Effect free playthrough. And once again, I just wanted to say uh, a big shout out to all of the support we've received so far. Uh, We really appreciate uh, the followers, new and old, on our social media accounts. Please don't be shy to get in touch with us. And we're always keen to interact with our listeners. So please do get in touch. Agreed. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, guys. Thanks again for sticking around until the end. And we'll see you guys next week. Until then, goodbye. Bye.